This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to the new series of Money and Markets. I'm Laura from AJ Bell and I'm joined by Dan from Shares. Hello. So we're back from our slightly extended summer break. Dan's packed away his bucket and spade and we're raring to go for the next series of the podcast. So we've got a bumper episode to herald the new series. We're going to talk about cash accounts that pay you zilch, what the Thomas Cook collapse means for shareholders. We're going to look at why there's been so few investment trusts uh, joining the stock market. And we're going to reveal a sneaky person who may have broken Monzo. Um, and also pleased to say this week we're joined by Annabelle Brody-Smith from the Association of Investment Companies. Hello. So firstly, Thomas Cook has been the big news of the week and it's obviously very devastating for all of the staff that have lost their jobs and and also very sad for the people whose holiday plans are ruined. But we wanted to take a look at it from an investor point of view as well. So what happens to shareholders um, when a firm like this collapses? Well, you're right in saying it it, it is really bad news for people who've lost their jobs. Um, And then if you look from a customer's perspective, you know, if they're already on holiday, they'll be flown back. If you if you booked a holiday, you haven't taken it. There's a chance you'll be able to get your money back. Um, but from a shareholder perspective, you've lost everything. Um, and I guess it's you have to think: well, why were you invested in Thomas Cook in the first place? Because its problems have been very well known. Um, it basically got strangled by debt. Couldn't cope with the uh, amount of money it had to keep repaying for its borrowings, um, and so. Really, anyone who was in this as an investor, it's it's terrible to lose money, um, especially everything from one of your holdings. But you should have already recognised this should have been one of the highest risk things in your portfolio if you owned it. So for shareholders in this example, so shareholders that have got, um, in this example, shares in, in Thomas Cook, there's no compensation for them. There's no recompense. There's no chance of them getting any any of their money back. And that's correct. So the government actually issued a statement pretty soon after the Thomas Cook announcement came out saying, if you are a creditor, uh, this is the process to follow. But actually, if you are a shareholder, you should expect nothing back. Um, Because it's important here to uh, to understand that Thomas Cook has gone into liquidation. So normally companies, when they get into serious trouble, may end up in administration. Um, And here, is the process where an administrator would come in and try and keep the business going while they try and find a buyer. Um, But during that process, obviously, they have to fund the company and try and make a return from it. But with Thomas Cook, it was felt it was so complex and such a large scale, a bit, you know, real mess. They just thought the administration process just would not work. And so that's why it's gone into liquidation. And, And yes, sadly, investors will have lost everything. But you do get companies that go into administration and actually they they keep going. And there's a couple of examples of companies that have been on the stock market like Conviviality and Patisserie. Now, both of those businesses are still operating today, albeit in a different form to the to when they were a listed business. But any shareholders who were invested in them, they lost all their money when the company went into administration. But yes, they do still trade now because someone else has come in and bought them. 
So it's kind of, we always bang on about the importance of diversification, spreading your money around, not putting all your eggs in one basket, all other cliches. But um, this is an example where that really rings true and kind of highlights that need to spread your money around different companies and stocks. It, and it does. It also sort of, it, it, it sort of, it's a good reminder that if you are a shareholder, you're actually at the back of the queue when it comes to claiming money back if a company goes bust. So a, a secured creditor. So someone who, who's essentially either, say, invested in the debt or you know, invested in a bond that's secured against the assets would be, um, you know, they would be the ones that would be there queuing first and the shareholder would be at the back. Therefore, you know, investing in shares is, is riskier because you have this situation that you must think of in the worst case scenario um, that you, you there may not be anything left in the sort of little hat of uh, coins that might still be able to distributed for you there. And in the same way that, um, so obviously with, with savings accounts, you have the financial services compensation scheme and, and um, that will give you a certain level of protection on your money if, say, the bank or the building site you've got your money with fails. There's no such scheme for shareholders, is there? No, there, there's a scheme if you're the, the company which holds your investments, something happens to them, there is some level of compensation um, potential. But as a single investment, you, know, you are taking the risk of putting your money in the stock markets. Um, therefore, if something goes wrong, uh, that's what happens. Simply, you would lose um, potentially a large amount of money if your share price fell a lot. You could lose everything if the company goes bust. It's it's the part of weighing up the, the potential rewards that you can make from the stock market versus the risks you are taking. Um, but you know, it, there's some takeaways from this Thomas Cook situation which are worth thinking about. One is that. Um, Corporate debt levels in the UK are now at their highest level since just before the global financial crisis. So this uh, is the amount of money that companies are borrowing. They've got yeah, highest levels of yeah. borrowing. So, say debt is a real killer when it comes to investing. Um, if, you, if the economy goes into a big downturn, companies that still have loads of money that they owe to someone, um, they still have to keep up their debt repayments. But if their income is falling because they're going through a tricky patch because of the weak economy, this is where companies get real into real trouble. Um, and this, you know, as we're recording this podcast now, Aston Martin's just um, raised $150 million by issuing debt at um, it's, it's sort of tiered levels. One's at 12% and then it's got the opportunity to borrow a bit more money at 15% interest. I mean, these are very high rates. That is quite surprising because what we've been hearing is interest rates are at rock bottom level. So it's been a good time for companies to borrow because they can secure really cheap borrowing. But if, if Aston Martin, for example, is borrowing at kind of 12, 15%, that feels much higher than I would have expected. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, earlier this week, Metrobank tried to raise money at 7.5% with its bonds and couldn't get enough support for it. And if you think we're in a low interest rate environment, investors are scrabbling around to find sources of income um, and Metrobank's not attractive enough at 7.5%. Well, Aston Martin must be deemed to be very high risk if it's the only way they can borrow money is to issue debt at up to 15%. I mean, that's just a, it's an indication. It may sound, oh, this is brilliant, you can get this high yield, but um, you know, investors are only accepting this uh, opportunity for this reward because of the risks involved. Mm. And so the other thing to think about is, you know, Thomas Cook going bust um, is an actual opportunity for some people in the holiday industry. So you've got airlines, um, has a big competitor removed. So something like EasyJet and Ryanair, you've got this um, European short haul 
Thomas Cook was a big player in that. So, you know, having them taken away, um, Tui has got this big opportunity now, and Dark Group, which owns the Jet 2 airline and a holiday business. You, you saw all their share prices jump up on the Thomas Cook collapse. So, um, you know, investors need to look at lots of opportunities. And if perhaps they were burnt by Thomas Cook, um, you know, one way of potentially looking at how do you sort of mitigate the situation, how do you make up for these losses, and perhaps look at some other opportunities. There's always two sides of the story, isn't there? So. Mm. I mean, also, I'd, I'd just like to add, because obviously the, the debt situation at Thomas Cook very much highlighted, but, I mean, the disruption in how we actually book holidays you know you don't normally go to a travel agent now and they you buy a package holiday most of us go online booking.com Expedia we do it ourselves um, and I do think this is yet another way where technology is transforming an industry absolutely I mean Thomas Cook had like 500 odd stores I mean I walk past them on the high street and uh, they might you might go in there because you want to take a brochure and you you know you take it home, but I I don't think I've ever seen anyone sitting down having a conversation saying you know I'm, I've come here to book a holiday. It, I just it, you know the world has moved on, isn't it, in terms of how you sort of book your. Oh, I know. Experience. I mean, I've been guilty of going in and getting a brochure <laughs> and then going home, looking at the hotels and booking them myself. <laughs> <laughs> or you can go in there, use it and just use it to uh, line your floor when you're doing some painting or something. It's like the newspaper, isn't it? <laughs> But it's interesting because um, I was talking to a friend about it actually before Thomas Cook collapsed and he was saying that his parents book all of their holidays through Thomas Cook because they're just not digitally savvy and they like the security of it being someone else's problem if there's a flight delay or if something happens you've got the security of someone there to sort those things out for you I mean obviously that has not panned out very well now but I can see that for a, for a certain generation of people that aren't particularly internet savvy you could see that that was their market brace it's just that that's a very shrinking kind of customer base now mm. isn't it absolutely but and, and lots of people are sort of saying that the package holiday is old-fashioned but I, I think there's definitely still a place for um, the package holiday to be a, a way of um, making your travel arrangements, having everything all bundled up in one, it's, I guess it's just the, the channel that we go through in which to make this transaction, isn't it? The sheer number of people that they've now got to bring back to the UK and that kind of the repatriation effort highlights how popular that kind of booking thing actually was, that booking method was, the number of people that were on holiday. Yeah, I mean, they took it. Thomas Cook had 22 million customers, um, which is it's incredible, isn't it? Uh, it's absolutely incredible. And to bring them all back, but obviously you've got to think that will be, have a knock-on effect on confidence now mm. when you're booking a holiday. You'll be concerned about that company. Is it viable? Well, I know that when I sort of want to go on holiday, I do think about certain airlines, you know, particularly ones that... Um, like Ryanair, it's always striking, isn't it? So you think oh, constantly being disrupted. And I've got to the point where I just wouldn't even consider them. Um, even that might ultimately mean I, I might be paying more to use someone else. And I think, yes, you're right. This is going to have an impact on confidence levels. But um, I guess it's an opportunity for someone to step up in the industry and say, look, you know, we're the one you can trust. Yeah, and there are other holiday companies. We talked about Chewy. Got a different model to Thomas Cook. They actually own a lot of the hotels and the cruises um, that have seen an opportunity through this. Hmm. So, Laura, when are you next going to book your... 
Package holiday. I've just come back from holiday. And every time I say that, I'm never going to go with Ryanair again, but then they lure me back in with their cheap, cheap prices. Oh. Were you delayed again? I actually wasn't this time. Okay. There was a group of four of us that went away and Ryanair sat us as far away as they could from each other because we refused to pay the extra £4 to pick our seats. So that annoyed me this time. (laughs) (laughs) So... Let's talk about investment trusts now. So I feel that um, this is an increasingly popular area for investors, yet we don't seem to be getting many new sort of funds joining the market. So Annabelle, is there a reason for this? Or, uh, uh, have we basically got all the types of investment trusts that we need in the world and there doesn't need to be any new launches? Oh, no, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> I, I do think it is the market circumstances, the uncertainty, the, the dreaded Brexit uncertainty, the political chaos, I think is the only word you can use. Um, all of those are having an impact on the new launches. Uh, this year, we've had six investment trust new launches. If you compare that to last year, where we had 19 in total over the year, you can see those figures are really depressed. Um, It is interesting if you look at the types of companies that are launching, particularly this week with the UN Climate Action Summit on, I think uh, it's telling that five of the new launches in the last two years have been in the infrastructure, renewable energy infrastructure sector, you know, investing in things like solar farms, uh, wind farms. So uh, clearly there's a lot of um, demand for those sort of investments. So are we seeing more launches in kind of more of the niche areas rather than someone launching a broad kind of UK equity trust or global trust? I think you would say that this year, but interestingly, last year, we did actually get a lot of the equity companies launching. Um, The biggest investment trust ever launched was launched last October, the Smithson investment trusts investing in uh, global and smaller companies, global companies. So actually, we're still seeing some of the um, more traditional companies being launched, but this year they have mainly been fairly specialist. I think you've seen that generally across the whole of the London stock market. I think there's only been sort of 25 or 26 companies join. I mean, that's, that's a fraction of what we would normally expect. I guess it's the same thing that investment advisors are saying to companies or, you know, you may want to hold off doing this. Companies themselves are sort of delaying decisions, which might actually be a decision to float or not. Um, you know, this is just, you know, I hate using this word uncertainty, but yeah. It really is at yeah. the moment. And actually, I mean, we've looked back historically and it very much, I mean, I, I, the, for want of a better word, sentiment is really important when you do a new launch. For an investment trust, you can't really launch these days. Mainly they don't launch unless they get at least £100 million. So market sentiment, you know, goodwill in the market is very important. And when we look back historically, when there are times when, you know, markets are looking a bit more difficult, that is the time when the launches are depressed. Because I guess it it costs a certain amount of money for an investment company or a fund management company to launch an investment trust. So they want to know that there's enough appetite out there for that trust. And also, I guess, reputationally, you don't want to say that you're launching a trust and then not get enough money behind it and not be able to launch it. Absolutely. So they do a lot of research to make sure there's enough appetite to get a new issue away. But, I mean, interestingly, existing investment trusts 
raising lots of money at the moment. Um, actually, we've raised in the first half of the year pretty much, you know, just short of £5 billion, which was the same amount existing companies raised in the whole um, of last year. So there is demand but um, not surprisingly, uh, investors are looking for companies with a track record, proven track records, a manager that they know, you know, if, if there's a dividend stream that will be established, that's what they're looking to invest in. And I guess that also highlights why the Smithson Trust was so popular last year. So that's the trust that was launched by Terry Smith, which is a really, he's a really well-known in, investor. And so that new launch did well because it had the backing of a very well-known investor behind it. And people kind of had, had faith and trust in him as a manager, I guess. Yes. I mean, I think investors are looking for certainty at the moment. But, I mean, it's interesting, you know, the existing companies are raising money. So, for example, Marion Chrysalis um, invests in quoted and unquoted companies. They just announced yesterday that it raised $175 million. So that company is now in total $375 million. And it is important for investors that these companies are getting bigger. It makes them more liquid. It means it's easier to trade the shares. So um, there is there is some positive news, but I agree, a lot of uncertainty out there. So I saw some interesting figures this week um, showing that the savings market is so bad that there's one savings account that pays you 0% interest. Why would you even bother having your money in that? I is, know. Is it because is it you used to be paying lots and then it switched its rate? Yeah, it? that- so it's the classic thing of um, banks and building societies launching savings accounts with kind of market-leading or at least attractive rates. And then as you leave your money in them, they gradually kind of salami slice off a lot of that interest until in this example you are left with nothing so this was um first save called its easy access savings account but it pays zero percent and there are actually um nine other accounts that pay less than 0.1 percent as well now i think so people were very surprised by this obviously there was a um investigation done by money mail which is part of daily mail um looking at those savings accounts that pay the lowest rates. But I actually think if we all checked into our online banking, there would probably be some account, even if we don't have much money in it, that is paying a very paltry rate and and lots of people just don't realise. Yeah. Uh, Annabelle, confession time. Well, I I have to say, I've got an FSET mortgage, so at least mine is working towards my mortgage, (laughs) actually. I I think I've sort of slightly given up hope on getting interest off a cash account. As, as, As we can tell, it's quite hard work to get anything significant um premium bonds i know lots of premium bonds investors because they're getting a better rate there than they are off the cash accounts crikey my daughter just had her second check in two months the other day for premium bonds can't believe it i i've had premium bonds since i was very little and i've never won ever in my life she's the one with the luck yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> Fortunate that I have to put it into my bank account, isn't it? Uh, she's too young to have it on her own one. That is very lucky. Yeah. So go on, name and shame some of these other accounts then. Who who, who should we um, be cautious of? Any, any so, sort of familiar names in there? Or? Yeah, there are actually. So there are some kind of um, more kind of smaller building societies, but there are also um, Nationwide is in there, Halifax is in there, um, Citibank. My favourite one is the Halifax one because the account is called the Liquid Gold account. Oh. And then it pays you. 0.1%. Do you think the marketing department were having the having a last laugh there, thinking, let's see, call it that, see if anyone puts money into it. So. <laughs> 
but it's another example of kind of how you do need to switch around your accounts if you want to get any return on them and you can't just think oh this is a great kind of market leading rate I'm just going to put my money in there and forget about it which is very frustrating I think for savers and they get quite annoyed by the fact that in order to get the highest rate you have to every year remember that that rate is expiring or you have to take notice when the bank sends you a letter and says we're going to cut your rate um, Money Facts did some research as well and found that only that 8 in 10 cash savings accounts fail to beat inflation which is another probably quite frustrating figure for cash savers to have so it means that only 2 in 10 savings accounts are, are paying more than the 1.7% of inflation at the moment and mainly a lot of those are ones where you have to lock your money up for quite a long period of time which lots of people are pretty reluctant to do right now. Mm. I think there, there are some companies that have um, introducing these services where you, you put money into a cash account and then they'll they'll go off and find you the best rate and then after a certain amount of time you'll switch it to someone else. I mean, they, they, I could I could see that becoming a bit more popular in the future. Yeah, I reckon we'll see more of that because you've also seen that in other markets, not just the savings market. So you've seen that particularly in the like energy utility market where um, you basically hand your details over to a company and they automatically switch you to a better deal if there's one available. So I think we'll, we will see a bit more use of technology to help people navigate this market. And I guess ultimately, if I put my rose-tinted glasses on, maybe if we had more services automatically switching that, then that would kind of ruin the game for banks of baiting people with high interest rates and then cutting them. And maybe the banks will just change their ways and pay us all great yeah, interest. That would be good, because we all know we should be moving, but it's just hard to get around to it. It's just that boring life admin that you just never really want to get around to doing, but you know exactly. you have to. Filling in forms. It is. I mean, I, I've got um, a savings account that's linked to my current account with a, with a bank. And I know it doesn't pay very much interest, but I'm not that bothered because I like the convenience. It gives me four different pots, which I can rename. I can say like one could be Christmas presents, one could be holiday. And I like the way that I can just um, sort of label my savings and I'm not so bothered about making a, uh, a big interest because I know that the money's probably not going to be in there very long. Because so. you're so spendy. It just only hangs around for about a week and then you've spent <laughs> all the money. Well, I, I feel the same because, yeah. A, I never have enough money, first of all. But also, at least any money I've got, I know it's working towards my mortgage, offsetting what I have to pay on that. Mm. So that's very helpful for me. Okay, so finally, we couldn't let the first episode Go without mentioning our friends Monzo. Um, they've stopped their Refer a Friend program and Laura's going to tell you why that's happened. Yeah, so Monzo had a Refer a Friend program, which meant that if you sent a link to someone and got them to sign up to a Monzo account, you'd get £5. Um, but they suddenly stopped that. So this it was called the Golden Ticket, which makes it sound much more exciting than opening <laughs> a bank account. Willy Wonka. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they said that they've kind of basically want to grow in a more organic way. Uh, but there's lots of rumours online of a very clever person basically made their link, their referral link, one of the top links. If you Googled set up a Monzo account or join Monzo, um, they made it one of the top ad links. So it meant that everyone was using their link um, to join up to Monzo. They got the £5 referral for all of these random internet strangers signing up to Monzo. And there's rumours that this person made um, around £200,000 from this. Gosh. I mean, that's I don't know if gosh. it's true, but I really want the story to be true. Yeah, that's gosh. absolutely brilliant, isn't it? You've got to say good for them. Yeah, because I mean, it's good, you know, if it's a simple initiative, isn't it? 
how to, how to make money. So, um, and, and Laura did tell me about this story just before we, we did this podcast. I had a quick look on Google and there's other people have been doing similar stuff. So Tesla, someone's been doing the same thing. And apparently that it's in their terms and conditions. If you get caught doing it, um, you know, they won't pay you the money, but it's, you know, I, 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 I must admit, I thoroughly approve of, yeah. um, these sort of schemes to get something so easily, isn't it? Just it's take also out so simple that it makes you <laughs> yeah. kick yourself for not thinking of doing yeah. it yourself. I, I think it's good to see the entrepreneurial streak alive and kicking like yeah. her. <laughs> Particularly if it makes you £200,000. <laughs> so thanks very much for listening this week. Please leave us a review of the podcast wherever you listen to us. And remember, you can listen on the move using the Podbean or Apple podcast apps. Just search for AJ Bell Money and Markets. Thanks very much and we'll catch you next week. Thanks. Bye. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.